Welcome to the Average Joe podcast. The Average Yeah Joe podcast. I should get the name right. Uh, my next guest is my friend Nick Augusta. So I just I'm just gonna tell you a couple of good things just to get it out of the way. So I don't I don't have to tell you nice things later. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, if I could talk about Nick Augusta really quick, he was always a fun dude. I always enjoyed my time around him. Uh, please welcome my guest Nick Augusta. Hey Nick, how you doing? Hey, I'm good, Adam. Thanks for uh, having me on the show. It's uh, it's great to catch up for sure. So um, I wanted before we get started, I wanted to tell you this this story about you that it's one of my fondest memories of you. Yeah. And hopefully. <laughs> oh no. Do you remember? It was after it was after I left the cook, and I'm pretty sure you were off of the cook. How long were you off the cook that you stayed in the uh, area yeah so i stayed in for i think three years after the cook so i i did seven total years and i was on shore duty for, oh, for okay. a few years after that so so, this, so yeah I, this particular memory um we were at lunacy do you remember lunacy in virginia yes i do very they the, very well <laughs> <laughs> they had the three floors and up on the yep. third floor they had the the benches along the wall and along the yeah wall. let me know when you start to remember <laughs> I, I remember. I, I'm pretty sure I remember this. So, <laughs> so I mean, there's many memories with the lunacy. Just you know, I. You know, <laughs> so this particular somewhere kind of fading in and out. Yeah. Here, so this here and there. particular night, uh, it was towards the end of the night, so we were a little bit faded. Yeah, yeah. And then you had sat down on the bench, and you passed out. <laughs> and then yeah, I'd... and then somebody somebody would bump you. And you would spring up and you would just start dancing like where you're at. <laughs> and after like two minutes, you would sit down and you would fall asleep. And somebody would bump into you and you would just spring up really quickly and start dancing in place. And then you'd sit down and you fall asleep. This happened so often that when I noticed that this pattern was going on, I literally stopped just to watch to see how many times <laughs> you would do it. And you did it like six or seven times. Do you oh, remember that? Man. Yes, I, I do recall bits and pieces of that. <laughs> and whether it's like, you know, secondhand, you know, learning about it or not. But uh, yes, I, I do recall that story floating around there. Uh, and then I, I'm pretty sure there was other people. Oh, yeah, there was a well. the ton of other people. I just remember that. I don't want to say that summed you up, but. Right, 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 right. That's now, man. We like the party for sure. I mean, um, we, we got it done. And that brings me to my second memory. I was thinking back on our friendship and I was, I was thinking a lot of it involved out, outside of the ship. Oh yeah. In those type of scenarios. But then I remembered that um, it was my second deployment when we got our East Foss. I got my East Foss yeah. with you. Yep. And I was like, I didn't think we had a lot of interactions on board, like during working right. hours, but uh, you're the one of the ones that helped me get my e-swast pins. Yeah. And that was one of my most proudest moments. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. I, I totally agree with that. I totally forgot about that. I mean, there was a, there was a, uh, a handful of us that got our e-swast together that, yeah. that deployment. But um, I, I remember, um, I remember I was like two months behind everybody and I had to play catch up and I was like, fuck, if Nick, if Nick's getting it, then I got to. <laughs> yeah. and, and, you, and you guys allowed me into your group but uh we could yeah, 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 man. we could uh discuss that later uh right sorry about the long intro uh could you tell the people listening what you did in the navy and how long you served so uh i served a total of seven years and i did i did a few jobs in the navy so i was kind of what was your rate kind of i was a yeoman 
that's what I, that's what I struck as. And that's what I actually was uh, when I finished out. But I actually came into the Navy as an undesignated seaman, which not a lot of people know about. And I was actually on another ship before the Donald Cook, uh, the USS Saipan. So I served as an undesignated seaman on the USS Saipan before the Donald Cook uh, and becoming a yeoman. So um, that can be part of the story as well when I go through that whole portion yeah, of the yeah. service. But that's, that's exactly, you know, my, my job was just, you know, basically personnel driven and, um, and, uh, you know, it, it actually served me well. I always looked at it kind of as a bum rate, but, uh, it taught me a lot of important stuff that I use still to this day. Yeah. So like, uh, the point of this podcast is obviously just to go, quickly go through your military career and how it affected you. And uh, most of the decision-making begins in high school for most people. Some people, Mm -hmm. you know, try college and it fails, and then they decide to enlist. Where did you grow up? So I grew up uh, in a a suburb of Columbus. It's called Grove City uh, in Ohio. And um, it was, you know, it's probably about 36 to 40,000 person town. It's pretty big. I mean, it's no more than 10 minutes outside of the main city. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. you're right there. Um, and my high school, my graduating class is like 715 kids. So, I mean, we had a pretty big school. Oh yeah, that is pretty um, big. So, uh, in the, the, uh, I mean, I, yeah, it was just, it was a big school. I, I wasn't really a great student. Um, I just kind of floated through high school and, and just everything really at that point in time. It, it you know, it just, I don't know if it was a challenging thing or I just wasn't engaged in it. I just, you know, for me, school was not necessarily fun. I was skipping school all the time, you know. Uh, I was sick and tired of high school or school in general by the time I graduated. What were you like? No, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, What were you like in high school? Uh, I mean, I was athletic. So, I mean, I played sports until I couldn't play sports anymore because of my grades. Um, (laughs) But that's the truth, man. No joke. But, uh, I would say, I mean, I wasn't like a, a jock or I didn't really run with a click or anything like that. I had some good friends that I played sports with. I had good friends that I knew from my childhood. Um, I I'd never, I wasn't like a, a bully or anything. I mean, you knew who I was really. I was just that same dude, uh, even in high school, just looking for a good time and, and uh, you know, trying to have fun anywhere that I could. So did you party back then too? You know, I really didn't party like that. You know, uh-huh. it's usually like the stereotypical, um, you know, high school party kid that's like drinking beers and doing drugs and stuff like that. I mean, I, 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 I chilled and, and maybe smoked pot or something like that yeah. every once in a while. But I was never like a heavy drinker. I never really went to high school parties or anything like that. I liked hanging out with my friends in like small groups and just hanging yeah. out and stuff like that. So, I mean, I, I really wasn't doing anything that would kind of link to bad grades or anything like that. <laughs> just, just, I was just like, just no, I don't like want to do this. Right, that's right. I, was I, just kinda, I just didn't like school. Right, right, right. Exactly. Yeah, and that's exactly what it was. And I kind of wanted to do my own thing. So it was, it was more or less me thinking about things and kind of, you know, than actually doing schoolwork or, or anything like that. So. I know I, I tend to be friends with like uh, really funny people and I count you amongst them. Uh, our inner circle, our inner circle is pretty like, oh, yeah. a bunch of fun. Were you a class clown? No, you know, I don't think so. I, I think people might have saw me as a class clown uh, in ways that 
like I didn't think I was saying what I was saying was funny and they just laughed at it. I was like, I don't know what you're laughing at. I don't think that's really, I'm not trying to be funny. And that probably, you know, you know, made some teachers here and there be like, could you, oh, categorize, could you categorize your group of friends in high school? Like, were you in the jock popular? I don't, I don't know if I can really. I, I was spread across, man. Yeah. I, I just, I was friends with everybody. And, uh, and you know gained a perspective from from them i, I was a i had a, a personal touch with with people man I, I don't know it's it was always easy for me to to you know talk to people and, and like you know ask them about certain <laughs> things that would cre- lead to like a friendship or something when they asked you know you got that question in school what do you want to be you grew up in high school when they asked you that question, what was your answer? Oh, I had no idea, man. Zero clue. I mean, there, was, there was zero clue. I, I, uh, I mean, I held like forty different jobs within the within Grove City. I probably worked every place here in the city. Um, so it was to me, it was a. Uh, I I wasn't going to college. That's for damn sure. You knew that right off the bat. Um, yeah, I knew that right off the bat, and I never knew. I never th- thought I'd be able to do that. Um, and I really didn't have any. I thought I was just going to work manual labor, like work as a forklift driver or something like that, which is not a you know problem. I mean, if that's what you do, then that's what you do. But um, that was just to me. That was kind of my my end game. I was like, well. I can make 15 bucks an hour driving a forklift, which is pretty good and will support me. Yeah, for, as long as I'm getting paid I mean, and paying my bills and right, not exactly. living with the parents and yeah, exactly. That's kind of the goal. So, right. Yep. And that, that's all I really thought. I didn't really have any more desire from there. When did you realistically start thinking about the military route? Uh, so I think the military route. So my, and for some backstory, my, my dad, was uh ex-navy he he did 24 okay. years he was a hospital corpsman during vietnam so he ran with like the marines and stuff like that and the cvs mm-hmm. um so i had an influence there and then his dad was actually a gunner's mate in world war ii so i have like a heritage of navy okay and uh i don't know i don't want to say it was subconsciously driven into me that i was going to do it but i did always have like a sense of pride about like the military and stuff like that i didn't know i was going to go into the navy um, but I always, t- I remember always telling my dad, I was like, look, if, if this is, this might be, or, you know, if, if it's last or yeah, last case scenario yeah. for me was the military. I was like, Hey, if everything just goes down the shitter, I'll join the military. And he, I remember him just being like, Oh, all right. You know, whatever. And, uh, I think he could tell because I was always fascinated by the stories. I mean, he was an independent duty corpsman on a submarine and he told me about all this stuff and, you know, just to me, it resonated with me. So um, when I started actually getting serious about the military, I would say I was right out of high school. So I, I probably did six months out of high school. I didn't join till I was 19. Oh, okay. And um, I remember just, I think I was at a, in an apartment complex with my buddy where she's living with a sister. Neither of us, I I'm working at a gas station and I'm literally walking to work every day. Cause I don't have a car um, or not living at a gas station. I'm sorry. I don't know if I said that, but working at a working. gas station, I, could, I was in walk, I was in walking distance. I'd walk there every single day. And uh, 
I was making like $7 an hour. So I was like, uh, you know, I don't know if this is I'm like drinking forties in the back stock room and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't even give a shit. Like this is like my last, last leg type stuff. And, um, so then I remember we were sitting there, uh, throwing the baseball around and, and, uh, I was just thinking, I mean, we would take these walks like at two o'clock in the morning and just sit there and bullshit with each other. And I was just like, what the hell am I doing? Yeah. You know, and I just came to the realization almost 19 years old. And I was like, I better like get my ass in gear. I'm not going to college. You know, I'm, I'm working at a gas station for $7. I barely have any money to do anything. Um, so I decided that's when I decided, I mean, that's literally, I made the decision in one night and, uh, and the rest was history. Uh, when you told your parents about it, what, or your family, what, what were their feelings on it? So, you know, I'm in a unique position, right? Because my dad was military yep. for 24 years. So my whole family has seen, you know, in my immediate family, my brothers and my mom have, or, you know, obviously they were okay with it because they were moving for the past, you know, two decades. Um, sure, yeah. And my dad was deploying all the time. So it, it was kind of like, it, it was ingrained. It was easy for me. It was just like, Hey, I'm, I'm rolling out, you know, I'm yeah. joining the Navy and they're like, well, all right. And I was actually going to join with that guy that I was throwing the baseball around. Yeah. With. And I do remember I called him like 500 times the morning of the ASVAB uh-huh. and he wouldn't pick up the phone <laughs> and he was never picking up the phone. I was like, dude, we got to go. We got to, you know, leave him all these messages. You know, this was before like text message was like a legit thing. You're still paying like 50 cents of texts at that point or whatever. And, uh, I'm sitting there leaving like a hundred voicemails. I was like, we got to go. And then finally I just rolled out without him. And I remember my dad, after I got back from that test, I told him the whole scenario or whatever. And he was like, he was like, so if, uh, Travis, that was his name. If he doesn't go, are you still going to go? I was like, hell yeah, dude, I'm out of here. Like, I got to yeah, go. Man. I don't do have it. any other options really at this point. So, uh, um, so I left, you know, and then um, I had to have been the easiest recruit in the world because yeah. I walked into that, that recruiter station. I was like, when, when can I leave? Like, yeah, well. <laughs> uh, they're like, Whoa, you got to get a physical, you got to take the ass up. I was like, all right, let's do that. Did it like within two weeks or something like that. And then, yeah. Uh, they gave me a year time frame to be in debt. And I was like, cause I had a guaranteed a school at that point in time, I was going to be a hospital corpsman. And it's like uh, your father. Yep. Yep. And uh, <laughs> I was like, no, nah. I was like, that's not going to work for me. I was like, what, what else do you have? And they were like, well, you can go in undesignated if you want to leave like <laughs> next month. I gotcha. Yeah, pretty much. And I told my dad that he was like, that's hard work, man. And I was like, I don't give a shit. I need to go, you know, I need to get out of here. So so why do you uh, turn away from, why do you turn away from the hospital corpsman route? Uh, because it was like, I wasn't going to leave for another year. So I would have been oh, like 20, okay. 20 years old at that point in time. And gotcha. I wanted to leave like that next month, basically. And I did, I did leave that next month. That's awesome. When I was doing this interview with Greg, yeah, like my questioning was like, he would tell something and then I was, you're the way you're telling your story is like leading me straight into my questions. <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> How long was it between you talked to the recruiter and you actually went to boot camp? How long did you wait? So I think it was literally a t- of three, three months. So um, it was either three or four, it was three or four months ish. So I, I went in there and they told me I had that 
guaranteed a school or whatever and i wasn't gonna leave till 2005 i think it was and uh i enlisted in 2004 i was like no you know that's not gonna that's not gonna work for me so that's when that's when we literally went or i went in there and i said i gotta do something else what what can i do to leave earlier and that's when they were like well you can go in as undesignated where you'll just be a basic seaman and um basically be a deckhand and i was like okay well let's do that i don't i don't care but it was like a it was a weird program because it was like a GTEP program. I don't know if you ever heard of that. It was a uh-huh. guaranteed A school, but first you go and do like 15 months undesignated and then okay. they send you to your, to your A school. So okay. I did that kind of program, which, you know, it worked out for me. Yeah, you know, was I, it exactly like they said it or were they? Yeah. Yeah, it really was. I was, you know, once I got to the fleet, I, you know, everybody starts talking about how, how much bullshit the GTEP program was. And I was like, Oh, you gotta be shitting me. They got me, you know, I'm going to be a bosun mate basically, which isn't a problem. I almost went bosun mate. Actually, that was kind of my, that was, uh, you know, I was so good at being undesignated, but then I started thinking like what I could do with it afterwards, like later on down the road and what I could learn, you know, leading up to that. So, um, so for for the non-navy people that are listening, uh, yeah, sorry. When when you leave boot camp, you you kind of have a your job ready to go, and then they train you for that specific job. What Nick is talking about, undesignated, was that he didn't have a job, so he went to the ship right. Yep. After boot camp, and he he was just doing like deck work, like a painting. I mean, painting. basically what we did on a destroyer, but literally this was all deck department i mean it was a huge deck department it was like uh, you know 150 people and so most people that go undesignated they tell them to go undesignated so they could they could see or the theory is that they'll see the the other jobs in action and then they choose a job from there and then they send them to training yep which Um, in theory it's it's a great idea and, and most of those people do end up striking a different rate yeah um but, but that, you know like that can work that deck can work is like so yeah. labor intensive that they try to I, I feel like they try to keep people in that field oh, yeah. well they totally do <laughs> they absolutely do and then if you have like a good sailor come through there they really try to keep you in there yeah and they they want the you know obviously they don't want the dirt bags yeah you know like they they do here you know and so you know you can't just you can't call somebody a dirtbag in, in the civilian world. <laughs> in the military, you can't. <laughs> so knowing that your dad was prior military, he retired, you said? Yeah. Okay. After 24. What, what were some of your preconceptions about uh, boot camp and military life in general? So my dad, my dad gave me yeah. uh, advice. You know, he was like, he was like, man, especially when I was leaving for boot camp, you know, I'd talk about it here and there, but when I was leaving for boot camp, he, he was like, he was like, Nick, all you need to know and all you need to do is lay low. He's like, just fly under the radar, do what you're told to do. Don't cause any scenes. Don't talk, you know, just kind of do your shit. And the best way to go through boot camp is just not being noticed at all. And uh, I took that advice. I, I literally went in there and it was crazy because 
in high school, I was just like this horrible student. I just didn't care. I didn't, you know, nothing really resonated with me. It wasn't that I couldn't learn the material. It was just that I, I just didn't care. But when I got into boot camp, it was like a switch went off. It was almost like a new beginning. You know what I mean? And I remember that's so, getting that's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, it was it was great. You know, it was like I, it just a switch flipped, and I could do everything. And I don't know if it's because I was raised that way. Yeah. But I was made for it, and um, even the the recruit chief petty officer or not recruit chief petty officer. I'm sorry. The the RDC yeah. said that he was like this Nick guy. He's like basically made for this like oh, cool. he, he does it all and then i became the recruit chief petty officer so i was the rpoc of yeah. the of the unit when i was trying to lay low oh, and not really? do anything yeah so they just singled me out they're like hey you are going to be the rpoc now and i was like no that's not what i want to do i don't want to be front and center but yeah. you know obviously i had to do it, it that's funny i so i got the same advice like lay low do exactly what you're told mm-hmm. no more lo- less a uh, greg my first guest he's he got the same exact advice. Yeah. So I'm wondering as I, I continue doing these episodes or this podcast, if, yeah. if I'm going to be get, keep getting the same answer. Right. That would be super interesting if, if that's uh that's consensus. So um, I vivid, vividly remember my first, my actual first day at boot camp. Like mm-hmm. I remember I had to take a train to the airport and then I took a plane right. to Chicago I remember the bus ride with all the other recruits. And I remember this is late in the evening at this time. I remember like the low, like murmurs of people talking, but, and this, this yeah. sense of stillness. I remember stepping off to the bus and looking up at the sky and then it's like, it was a clear dark sky. I could mm-hmm. see the stars tinkling. Uh, do you remember your, like your first physical day of going to boot camp? Oh yeah. Yeah, totally. That's like the only part that i remember of, of boot camp really i mean i remember because we being from columbus it's about a five-hour drive so you um you really uh you take a bus there's no flying so we we were bussed there was like a group of us maybe 10 of us in this huge van and we drove to chicago and it was pitch blackout it was so late and uh i think we were late we were, we might've been the last ones to arrive Yeah. and we get out. And like you said, I mean, it was, it was summertime at that point in time. Okay. Um, actually the tail end of summer. So it was still August. And, uh, I remember just getting in that hallway and, you know, P days, the, the processing days. And yeah. I, I just remember being in that, that hallway all lined up, everybody in their street clothes. And then the, 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 the RDC is just walking up and down the lines, just, you know, telling everybody to stay, you know, stand straight, you know, stand at attention. This is what you do. And just yelling at anybody that falls out, you know, just trying to scare them basically. But nobody came on our bus and started shouting at us. Like, no, no, us yeah. that we just walked into this building. We're like bombarded with RDC. So, <laughs> um, it, but you know, it, it was a pretty, you know, efficient process. I remember going through the steps and you had to take the piss test. Obviously, you had to. Uh, you got your hair cut. You got you. The one thing that I vividly remember is I remember all of us lining up in a room, stripping down naked, and putting our stuff in a box and mailing it home, and then putting on our <laughs> PT uniform. Yeah. And uh, that was kind of. That's when you were like, "Oh shit! Like we're we're in it now. There's no real turning back." Yeah. When did it hit you that like? Yeah, that had yeah. to have been it. <laughs> 
like being in that room naked and basically mailing your stuff back, you know, your, your clothes back home. And you kind of think you're like, well, is that, am I going to see these clothes again? What, <laughs> what's, what's happening here? I, I was talking but, about it on the last podcast or like, um, they give you a list of things to take to boot camp, mm-hmm. like clothes, like two sets of clothes, like $50 right. in cash. And then you yeah. get there and they send all that shit right back home. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, what the fuck, <laughs> It man? makes no sense, right? <laughs> yeah. I well, guess they, I, they just figure if you get lost along the way or something, who knows? Yeah, man. if you decide to, like, nope right. out of there. Yep, yep. Um, how was your overall boot camp experience, like, mentally and physically? Uh, Were you able to handle it? Yeah, I think I was able to handle it. I mean, the uh, boot camp physically, it was what it was, you know, I, I definitely wasn't as in shape as I am to this day or anything like that. But, um, you know, they kind of got you in shape, but it, it wasn't like rigorous or anything like that. Yeah. It wasn't, I didn't really go in thinking I was going to be in a Marine boot camp. I knew I was, there was going to be push-ups and sit-ups and some running and stuff like that. But <laughs> I mean, that's not, that wasn't a problem for me. And then, um, mentally I would say I was always an early riser so like my sleep schedule really didn't change mm-hmm. I mean that, that was it was easy for me um so you know maybe taking the mass showers we never did that in high school so that was kind of a little weird right off the bat but then you get used to that real quick um but I would say uh I mean we when we marched I remember I do vividly remember marching out of our barracks and always we're on this like long grinder thing. Yeah. And I remember they were building more barracks like right next to these. And were I you just in the remember new barracks? I was on the new barracks. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I do remember them building more barracks right behind us. And as we were marching by, uh, looking at the construction workers and just thinking to myself, like, what am I doing, man? Those guys have the life. Like they get to go home every night. They get to do this. They get to do that. <laughs> so there is definitely like a mental game there you know what i mean you really have to there's people that fizzled out i mean there was yeah, people that yeah. went home after the first couple of weeks just because they couldn't handle being away from their family how, how how afraid are you of being held back did that fuck you up like what do you mean like if you can't pass a swim test they'll hold you back oh yeah yeah and, so or, you know yeah absolutely like you didn't like the pt test type deal yeah, thing. Like and, you didn't and they wouldn't as many push-ups you weren't allowed to leave boot camp they would just right. roll you back until you yeah. graduated <laughs> yeah i yeah that that definitely crossed my mind during that during that time but uh you know it's i think that's how it's structured right yeah. i mean they, they try to play with your mind and and uh tell you like hey you're gonna be screwed if you get held back or this is gonna be a black mark on your record pretty much so so you just reminded me like i think one of the themes that i want to do with this with this podcast is like talk about like things that like sailors experience yeah. and i'm hoping to get like the other branches involved in this podcast and they could tell me yeah, that, like, like one of the things that like that i just thought about boot camp right now is like i i when i went to boot camp we were still uh living in like the bunkers yeah, I don't know if you saw those around. You mean like the old, the, the old, old, yeah, where they had the uh, and we had a march courtyard in the middle. Yeah, and then we had a march. Yep. We had to march to the galley and to everywhere. I think yep. now like it's all in one building. It is. So yeah. so I had the old boot camp where we had a march everywhere, and that's like one of the memories. I went in July, and so I remember so it was uh, pretty warm. 
What's that? Yeah, it's, and it's so I remember uh, waking up butt crack early to go to breakfast, and we'd march there, and we would get to like the grinder area, and there you'd see divisions like marching in between each other without mm -hmm. without any hesitations. I remember fucking hearing like the cadence, like yeah. echoing through the through the the camp, and I remember the smell of oh, bacon. Yeah. Oh yeah, and I remember like yeah. do do everywhere. So like that's one of the things I think about boot camp. Started to go off on that little tangent. No, that's, I mean, that's legit. Cause I mean, the, you know, you're always looking forward to the next meal. That's for sure. <laughs> I mean, it was cause I mean, you got to sit down I and mean, there was no talking, but yeah, we did have that. We, we stayed in the barracks like the first few weeks we stayed in old barracks until we got to our new barracks. Okay. And then, um, I mean, we were probably one of the first divisions to actually be in the new barracks. Yeah. And then, uh, but you know, obviously during battle stage, we ate at the other galley every once in a while. But most of the time, we were everything was internal, even our classwork, everything. So um, my first real proud accomplishment personally, I'm sure it's the same for everybody, was the the Navy graduation when you switched mm -hmm. over from the recruit ball cap to yep. the Navy ball cap. Like I was super emotional at that point. How were you during this time? Yeah, I mean, I would say so, you know, emotional. And I think at that point, you you know, everybody's just like, thank goodness this is done. You know, yeah. let's let's just kind of move on to the next chapter. But, uh, you know, you kind of, you had that sensation of actually making it, you yeah. know what I mean, and, and getting it done. So it was, uh, yeah, I would say emotional at that point in time. I just, you know, I was just, I was looking forward to like, you know, the foresight, I had the foresight of just like being like getting to the ship basically. <laughs> Cause I knew I was going to a ship cause I got my orders to my ship uh, before I left boot camp. Oh, so dang. yeah. Cause with you, you had to go to a school and everything yeah. like that. Right. So uh, I already knew what type of boat that I was going to be on like two weeks before I got out of boot camp. And um, I remember just asking all these questions and asking like the RDCs and another uh like i had a quartermaster chief and everything like that where yeah they were telling me about um the type of ship it was and and you know so you're kind of getting nervous like oh man this is this is pretty intense you know what was uh what was your first meal when you got out of boot camp uh oh man That's do you remember let me, let me think probably taco bell because there was a taco bell on that the the uh, training side of of uh, yeah. Great Lakes. What about, did your parents come out to see your guys? They did. Yeah. 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 So I can't Do you remember your first meal with them. Oh man. That's a, that's a tough one. I want to say mine was the, the rainforest cafe at Gurney Mills. Oh man. Yeah. I, I definitely ate there. I don't know if we actually <laughs> ate cause it was at a Gurney Mills. Wasn't yeah. It? Yeah. Mall. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what are, might've been something like Bennigan's or some crazy stuff like that. I don't <laughs> even know, man. I was uh, just curious. Yeah. That's, that's a good question though. Cause I would, I would like to know, I, I bet you my parents know I'll have to ask them. <laughs> so, um, so I got to flip the script a little bit yeah, um, because sure. you said uh, after you graduated, you went straight to the ship. Yes. What were yes. some of your preconceptions then about fleet life? Oh man, uh, you know whatever our RDCs told us and whatever I learned from my dad, I really didn't know much. Uh, we did have a couple guys, you know, when you go to your seaman apprenticeship training, which is only like a two-week program uh -huh. at, on the training side, 
of Great Lakes. And still in Great Lakes? Yep. Mm-hmm. You go there and you have, you know, there's a bunch of boats mates there for, you know, undesignated, you know, seamanship training. Yeah. And they're just teaching you how to line handle and doing this and doing that. Um, but they would kind of give you a rundown of what the fleet's like. Yeah. But my preconception was just, I don't even know if I really had one. I just kind of, I always kind of figured that I'd figure it out. Yeah, learn as, as it happens. Yep. Yeah. And uh, so that kind of took a lot of the anxiety away. But at the same time, you know, you know, when I, when I checked on board my first ship, I checked on at like 10 p.m. at night, yeah. close, to, I think it was around Thanksgiving time frame. And uh, I just remember walking down the pier and just seeing two huge gray things on each side of me. Yeah. I was like, there's no way this is, these are ships. <laughs> I thought they were like buildings, man. And I'm yeah. just like walking down and there's all the steam everywhere. And it's like a, just a, a long haul to the actual brow or the, 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 uh, the plank, I guess, or whatever you want to call it yeah. for uh, other, other listeners. But it's it's just it was crazy i didn't even know where to get on i just saw this like entrance and i was like can i go up there and what do i do here and uh i just remember getting on board and then uh, a bm2 came down uh bm2 ariano that was his name <laughs> great guy awesome bosun's mate and, like a um, duty section dude didn't pick you up yeah okay. yeah <laughs> and then he he basically took me to uh my rack uh and I, I didn't eat that night, so he gave me like a bowl of cereal, and then you know he was probably pissed off because I woke him up. Yeah, and I was like, yeah. dude, you coming here at ten o'clock at night? I'm trying to sleep. I got watch it, <laughs> you know. I got the mid or something like that. So, uh, you know, thank goodness he was a good sport about it because that might have. They always say like the first seventy two hours, right? So, where 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 were we stationed? Norfolk? I was in Norfolk. Okay, time, pretty yeah. much. Yep. Uh, did you do any traveling around? the United States prior to joining the Navy? Nope. Nope. I was always, I was kind of, I still say to this day that I've been to more countries than I have states in the U.S. So I think that's pretty true for most, you know, sailors, I would say. How'd you you like the deck life or the uh, undesignated? Man, undesignated life was good to me. I I had a, you know, there were some hard asses that, that were, there were leaders in that group, but yeah, uh, I had a good group. Um, I got taken under the wing by some, some, uh, some good, uh, down to earth people and, and successful people in, in that job. Yeah. So I, I can't argue, you know, I, I couldn't sit there and say that I had a horrible experience. I, I, I liked being a deck seaman. Honestly. I actually, I work a lot with my hands now these days more than I ever did in the Navy. And like, there's something to like, satisfying about like oh it's so satisfying it's crazy like doing fixing something and then like seeing right. it work mm. or whatever exactly. how long how, how long were you on that ship uh i think i was there for 15 months 15 months yeah 15 okay. months so, so a little uh, little over a year tell me about the first time going to sea because i think that's another like safe yeah. thing tell for me sure. about yeah i mean i guess that would be like first time on deployment type deal thing well uh, not necessarily just like your first time being on a boat oh yeah, yeah. way on water it could be for okay yeah, or just like right, one right. of those random just going, going out to yeah, sea or anything like that so yeah my my first time out to sea actually so i showed up and i think it was a week uh we were going on a three-month cruise so oh, okay 
Um, so mine was literally like a, okay. a 90 day, day cruise. But so we went to, we pulled out and it was freezing. I mean, it was like, uh, there was snow on the deck and everything like that. And the deck department on the Saipan stood all the watches. So all the, the lookout watches. Uh-huh. So I'm sitting back here and the boat's so big. Like you go to a watch station on like the aft, you have a port and starboard lookout on each side and then you're hooked up with comms and all that good stuff. But it's, uh, it, there was like probably like three inches of snow on the, the deck. So I'm sitting back there in this huge pumpkin suit with a headset on freezing my ass off. And I'm just like, damn, dude. And then I was like the first watch when we pulled out and it was so late and dark and I was tired because we're working all week to get the, the uh, ship ready to go out to sea and get the stores unloaded and everything. And I just remember sitting back there and I was like, Oh, this is the worst. You know? <laughs> and you know, it's a four hour rotation. I think it was at that point in time it might've been, yeah, I think it was four hours and we'd shift every hour or so. <clears throat> and I wasn't qualified to drive the ship yet. So I had to just always do lookout. So I was yeah. always outside and it was like 20 degrees. I was freezing my ass off. Oh, that's- so you're really you know, it's just kind of disgruntled at yeah. that point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so it's like oh probably really bad. <laughs> For it's the like, first time going out to sea, you know, once we got south, because we went to the, the Caribbean at that point. It's yeah. Nicer. How how were your feelings? I know you're on the bigger ship, but mm. were you were you handling the the high seas? Pretty well. Yeah, yeah. I think it was easy on on the Saipan. Never got seasick or anything like yeah. that. You know, that ship could get tossed around in some serious weather, but you still, still at that point, you really don't yeah. feel it. But you, I guess you said that you were on the ship for a week and then you went on a three month. Yeah. Were you prepared? Like, did you know that was happening? No, I or? wasn't prepared at all. But luckily, a ship like that has a big, you know, big uh, uh, ship store. So you have like a little mini NEX or, or Navy but Exchange still, like, on there. You, you literally just checked on board with your oh, yeah. bag. From yeah, you don't even know. You you really don't have like the lay of the land. I didn't know Norfolk. Did you have um, like clothes? <laughs> no, not really. Like I just the only thing I had was because I went home after after training. So I went home and I packed like some okay, yeah, clothes yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. So I had some clothes, but you know, once they told us that we were going, I think I went to the next or the Navy Exchange and, and actually bought some other items. And stuff Spend like the eight hundred dollars you had in a bank account. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I didn't have anything else, man. It was it was kind of crazy. It was a uh, it was a good time. But once I got over, you know, you know, once we actually pulled in a port at a few places, it was pretty awesome. Um. So, what were your preconceptions about? Like deployment, what were you thinking about? I know you didn't have a lot of time to process what right. was going to happen. What were some of your preconceptions about a military deployment, a Navy deployment, and yeah. how they turn up against reality? So, you know, I think being in deck, it was uh, – I didn't really have – especially on a, on a gator ship like the Saipan, like an amphibious assault ship. I mean, you're working so much – you really don't have time to think. I mean, I, I didn't have, I, I, they told us we were going underway, but like we just, we were just working our ass off so much. And I think at that point in time, I was getting kind of groomed with other, you know, undesignated sailors in there. So it was yeah. kind of, 
I just was, like I said, just trying to keep my head low. I really didn't give a shit. I just wanted to kind of do this and get kind of settled and not, you know, feel like the new guy anymore at yeah. that point. So uh, I think I was pumped. And once we got underway, yeah, there was some, there was some shitty aspects of it, but I, I think, uh, I think it was still, it was a great experience overall. And yeah. uh, I don't think, I think it actually exceeded my expectations. Okay. So, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't scared uh, or anything like that. I wasn't really, anxious because i didn't have anything either so i, I yes. didn't have anything that i was leaving i was already in boot camp for so long so you know i, I wasn't like leaving okay. a family or that makes sense you know what i mean um so like everything's being thrown at you at this point then like you're mm -hmm. just like going from boot camp to ship to deployment did that leave any like did you regret anything up to that point did you think you made the right choice or were you like man i i should have done it a different way yeah. Uh, were you being, were you disgruntled at all? You know, I, I think you're disgruntled to not, I don't think I'm disgruntled at the choice that I was made. I think I was more or less disgruntled at like a specific job that I did or that I was assigned or something like that. You know, yeah. I was like, like, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, you know, tearing up, you know, non-skid deck and then relaying that and painting an entire compartment space or something like that. Yeah. You know, that's when I was like, you gotta be kidding me, you know? And it's not like a, uh, a job. I, I don't know. I mean, once when you're working basically 24 hours yeah. a day out to sea, <laughs> yeah. you don't really, you're just kind of like, okay, well I, I should have, you know, chose a different job or yeah. I should have chose a different career path. But looking back on it, it's like, man, those were some of the best times. Okay. You, know, you really didn't have to think about anything. You didn't have to, you didn't have to, uh, um, really think about anything. Everything was laid out for you in the plan of the day and, and you knew what you had to do. And, um, they kind of left it up. They gave you the opportunity to do it yourself. And then, you know, you do it right. You like know, you'd, you'd probably realize this later, not, not so soon in your specific right. career, but like deployments were actually pretty cool in the sense, like you didn't have to worry about phone bills, rent, oh, man. water. Yeah. Right. You, know, you didn't have, yeah, to, you worry didn't have to worry about anything. Yeah. It was insane. But it's a standard deployment where like you, you'd hit a port every couple of weeks or whatever, or was this like a weird deployment? So, yeah, my, my deployment was, this one was, it was kind of weird, but we were, it was almost like a sea trials type thing. Cause the Saipan, when I was on, it was like 27 years old. Yeah. So it was an old ass ship, uh, lost steering all the time. <laughs> I mean, literally we'd be floating out in the middle of the ocean with no steering for like minutes. And, um, it was a diesel engine. So, I mean, you're, you're, or a, uh, it had boilers we had one of the last remaining boiler techs on our <laughs> boat. It was insane. It was yeah. like a, seeing a dinosaur. Um, but we, it was, we went to the Caribbean. We stopped in Puerto Rico. That was one of my first ever stops. We went to Guantanamo Bay to mm -hmm. refuel and stuff. You don't really get to do anything there except for go to the, the necks and yeah. hang out there. Um, I did a year sort of there. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know. I remember that. I do remember you doing that. That's right. I forgot about that. Um, and we went to Curacao 
and we went to I think that was it. We only hit a few few ports um, that time, but for three months, three ports was actually pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah. So yeah. it was a. I mean, it was it was a good experience. It was a good like precursor to what was coming down yeah, the road. Yeah. Yeah. That's terrible. So when did you, uh, how, how did the choice of becoming a yeoman come about? So when did that? Yeah. That, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, <laughs> with a, a yeoman, that wasn't necessarily my, my first choice. I, okay. I, like I said, I was in that guaranteed a school program yep. that they sent me to my guaranteed a school was actually Corman school. So I, ended up going uh, back to Great Lakes after my 15 months on the Saipan. Yeah. And I went through core school, uh, which was, I can't remember if it was, it was like 13 weeks or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Yep. And they started a, a self-paced program. So I was in like the self-paced program at Corman School, which was fine. You know, I did it. I went up to, I think, week. And a lot of people don't know this. Like, you know, my, my core, Corman, you know, background but i did go through that school until like week 10 mm-hmm. and i remember telling my hm1 the hospital <laughs> corpsman first class i was like i don't want to do this anymore i was like i don't want to be a corpsman and he was like what i was like why i was just like i just don't I, you know because I, I thought i based all my assumptions well? yeah yeah i yeah. was doing okay I, I mean i wasn't like the top of my class but i was passing you know i was about to graduate i could have yeah. graduated and been a corpsman and uh, I remember telling him that, and we had like I had like five or six meetings uh, when, I, and I just stayed strong. I was like, I don't want to do this. And you know, my dad was a corpsman, so I had a lot of these preconceived, uh, you know, understandings of what a corpsman did. And I heard all his stories, so I was kind of basing it off what he was doing. Were you and at this uh, time? At this, sorry to cut you off. No, 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 you're fine. Um, at this time, were you thinking ship corpsman or uh, FM? Oh, I was going FMF a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, at that point in time, they were shipping people off to Iraq and, you know, mm-hmm. it was really the, the school was, was focused around heavy, uh, Marine Corps kind of ideology. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the Navy anymore that I was in when I was going through core school okay. at that point in time. And, it, and that probably had a piece to do. I was like, man, and it's harder coming from the fleet too. That was going to be another you know, question. It was like, you, you're, you're the guy that people ask about what fleet life is like. Right, exactly. So I'm sitting there like, man, I, you know, I had free reign. I could go to Chicago and do whatever I wanted yeah. and stuff. And it, 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 I feel like it would feel fake. Like, you know what the real Navy is like? And yeah. going back to this oh, scene totally where you're like, you're calling petty officers, petty officers. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, hey, petty officer. Right. I know. And that's, that's kind of what it boiled down to is I was just, I was kind of beat up about that. And I was like, man, I had a good thing going. I, I was living the, the good life. I was a great undesignated seaman, you know, and, uh, <laughs> you know, as I was going through core school, I was just, I didn't have the motivation. I told him I wanted to quit and, and I did, and I did quit. And I, I went to, uh, you know, which sucks because I was there during like the, the, you know, uh, the coldest part of the year for Chicago, yeah. which is the worst thing ever. And uh, then I, I ended up um, uh, going into like a TPA hold and then I chose another rate and, you know, they obviously they only allow 
you know, it's all the needs of the Navy at that point. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm surprised they actually, they're like, all right, you can go back undesignated. Oh, I know. I know. Well, and then they, uh, they had like a list of five rates listed on a piece of paper. Yeah. One was like, uh, uh, an airman mechanic. And I think there was a, uh, 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 a builder for the Stevies and I think personnelman was on there. And I, I remember my dad always saying, he was like, just make sure you get something out of it. It's something that you think is kind of going to be general and you'll have like something to use once you get out. Mm-hmm. And that's when I, I looked at Yeoman and I read up on it and stuff. And I was like, you know what, at least it'll, it'll give me some sort of, of, of uh office experience it'll give me yeah you know, kind of the bureaucracy of it all it'll make me speak to hr type stuff exactly so and that's what i did and um then i ended up in meridian mississippi so <laughs> and that's where i went to school for for the next like uh i think it was like two months and then um i do have a funny story but i'll let you go with your your question here no what's the funny again, story so when I went to, so, I, you know, obviously I'm still a fleet returnee mm-hmm. uh, in Meridian, Mississippi. I get there, man. And that place is like, I mean, that's out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, you have, I think SK schools there um, or LS now, which is logistics specialist. And there's a couple other uh, uh, PNs are there, YNs are there. And I think there's one more. I can't remember where it is. Might be the airman uh, storekeepers. So uh, I get there, you know, go through school, the, the barracks people are civilians and they love me. So I have an entire barracks and it's a, it's a barracks where you have like four different rooms and mm. then one common area. Yeah. Okay. And I had one of those all to myself. So I could sleep literally in a different room <laughs> if I wanted. I had this huge like mansion, dude. It was insane. I feel like you did too. <laughs> Man, I, I pretty much did. It was great. But, uh, you know, I could do whatever I wanted because I didn't have a curfew or anything like that because I was a fleet returnee. So my life was pretty good. You know, yeah. I was at the yeah. bar until close like all the time. Just, you know, partying. All these other kids have to go home at like nine o'clock. And I'm out there like at 12 o'clock. I finished my school so quick. Done with that. So easy. And um, then comes uh, graduation order choosing. So this is obviously the next, the next stop was the Donald Cook. But yeah. Um, I get in there and I'm, I'm roomed with like, I'm in a room with like 10 sailors. Everybody's brand new from boot camp, just coming to school, doing yeah. that. And then they're picking the orders. They graduated with me. I'm the only fleet returnee. I already have a year and a half of sea time, you know, almost a little over two years at this point of, of actual service. And these guys might have three months. And so they're starting from like left to right. Like, all right, and we have the detailer on the phone. So the detailer's oh. talking to us, like, hey, where do you want to go? What's your wish list? We fill out a wish list, whatever. So I think Pena was the first one or whatever. And it, they're like, all right, well, how about you go to, uh, I think it was like Grove City, Pennsylvania, or something like that. You know, one of the air bases, some, some okay. like <laughs> uh, naval air station type stuff. Okay. Uh, so they, he goes there another person gets orders with like the blue angels or something like that. Oh, shit. Um, another person gets shore duty somewhere. 
in Norfolk, somewhere gets like shore duty in San Diego. No All these people are getting shore duty. <laughs> and I swear to God, dude, I was like the last person. And uh, they're like, all right, Nick, uh, you know, or Augusta, where do you want to go? And I was like, well, you know, I'd rather, I'd like to go to like San Diego or Washington or, you know, anywhere other than Norfolk. I was just, I was already there, you know, and maybe like shore duty. I mean, it seems like everybody's getting shore duty. He's like, how about uh, USS Donald Cook, DDG 75 out of Norfolk, Virginia? I was like, are you kidding me? It's like Dude, I was so of everything I just Yeah, did. I was so pissed. <laughs> I was like, you gotta be kidding me. You're giving all these little babies, you know, no seed time. You're putting them on shore first and then you throw me on a boat. God. So, but you know, honestly, I think that was the best thing that ever happened to me. So oh, and so far, you're two for two for people saying that. I said <laughs> the same thing. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> so so that's where obviously where we met was the USS yep. on Cook. Um what year was that? That was 2006. Did we hit that deployment yet? I, I'm so bad. No, we. Uh, so when I met up with them, they were in the yards. Okay. Oh, that was. Yeah. A, yeah. That was a crazy yeah. year for me. Dude, that was just weird overall. That was that crazy. Was, that was a weird time for me, the yard. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, but I mean, yeah, that's where like my, my personal bonds with my friends at the time were like strengthened or in the yard yeah. period. That was, that was a brutal schedule. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. I think I met Schroyer there at yeah. the yards, um, before he went to some school yeah. ever. And I, I think that's the year Greg also joined. I remember. Yeah, I thought he met, he met us on deployment though. Oh, did he? Pretty sure, yeah. I feel like the first time I met Greg was he was waking up on a couch in my apartment. <laughs> and I've never met the dude in my life. <laughs> Sounds about right. Oh, um, <laughs> how, so how do you like the Donald Cook? Oh, man. You know, the Donald Cook for me was, uh, was amazing. Um, you know, first off, it was a little weird because, you know, I didn't know anybody, but I had, do you remember Kemp, Wine One Kemp? Yes, I do, yeah. Oh, yeah, he was a great person to have as, like, an LPO. And then I had Billups for my chief. So I, yeah, yeah. I had a pretty good life Yeah. Uh, when it came to um, my department. So, but one of the first people that I met on the ship was, was Cunningham. Uh-huh. Um, and he... He kind of took me under his wing. He was a great say. I think he's a he might be a senior chief now, honestly. Uh, but either way, he, you know, he was an excellent, excellent sailor. And what was, what was your uh, what was your rank at when you checked on board? Uh, I was on, I was a seaman. Still? I was only a third. Yep. What yep. What was your rank when you left? Only a third class. Okay. Yeah. So I made, I left, when I left the Navy after seven, I was a second class. So okay. I, didn't, I didn't, I almost put on first. I took the test three times, I think. And the third one I was, I, I made. Yeah. I was at E5 when, when I left and that was after 10. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what kind of what I expected was about yeah. 10 years to put on first and then another five or something like that and put on chief or something like that. But, but either like, way. Um, but like I mentioned, like uh, I, you graciously allowed me to join your group when we got our war- warfare pins. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so that, that was the, my second proudest thing I think that I did in the Navy 
the first one being actually graduating boot camp. How sure. did were you, did you feel like the warfare pin was special to you? Yeah, yeah. I think since I was a third class, and I think at that point we even had first classes or E6s on our uh, boat that didn't have the warfare pin. So it was kind of, to me, it was important to, it was important for me to have it just as a junior sailor. Yeah. Um, especially going anywhere after that to just have it and be able to, you know, kind of be like, Hey, I got this when I was a, a third class or an E4. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, I would say, I, I mean, I still have it. I still have a displayed. Like that's the only thing that I had that in my, my second class pin is displayed at my work cubicle. That's the only thing. Oh, is it? Yeah. You, and I still pinned? have the original one that's engraved. Yeah. I got mine too. Who pinned you? Oh man. Do you remember? Who did pin me. I want to say it was wine one read. Okay. I think she was the one that pinned me and yeah, it would have had to been because she was, she was awesome too. <laughs> I, I, I like, I had, I had good, I had good uh, command. You know what I mean? That's like good. my, my structure was, yeah. was solid. So I, I can't ever, you know, say that it, it was any different because, uh, you know, I had, I had good leadership basically. Yeah. Uh, do you have any other like super proud moments or memorable experiences like up to this point? I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, this would, you know, a lot, a lot of our experiences, because we, so on the Saipan, I, like I said, I did that first deployment. Yeah. And then my second deployment was actually a Mediterranean cruise. That was the crazy deployment. But that, that was the, with the cook, I did that one, but I also did a med cruise with Uh, Saipan. So I did a lot of those, I did like 20 different ports on the Saipan. Oh man. left went to school and everything and then came to Donald Cook and then did that med cruise again. I was like, you got to be kidding me, man. I hit the jackpot. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, Ain't no so money. I, yeah, I know. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I didn't earn a dime. I just spent all my money, but you know, it was still, it was still amazing to see that stuff because I, you know, I still talk about it. People are kind of, when I, when I tell them about, about my experiences. It, yeah. How often do you get asked? Oh, all the time. It's, it's insane, man. The amount of questions that I get, especially my girlfriend now, her, their family is just like, they're in awe about it. And they, you know, any, anybody that I really talked to kind yeah. of, was it, you know, listens to it. And were you really able to talk about it with your pops and like, Oh yeah. Like bond. Yeah. We bonded for sure. Yep. Yeah. So we could, well, I mean, still to this day, whenever we meet up, we, we talk about it. There's definitely a different bond you okay. know, with our, uh, our relationship. Cause we really didn't have that, you know, type of bond when, when I was younger, he was kind of, he was always working, working, working. Yeah, yeah. And we had a few things that we did together, but you know, he was, it was, you know, it's a nuclear 1950s family type structure where my mom took care of the kids. And then my dad worked and did what, which he needed to do to, to put food on the table basically. So, uh, you know, once, I got through that and then saw my dad on a regular basis again. They actually live in uh, Austin, Texas now, but okay. when we do talk, we do, it's almost like it just seamlessly comes up and, and uh, I'm sure he kind of yearns to to talk about it with somebody that, 
do you feel like old navy buddies when you talk with them or oh yeah yeah absolutely because <laughs> it's, it's just i mean he knows what i'm talking about yeah yeah yeah, yeah so just like when we talk or when greg and i talk or jake and i talk we can sit that we have like that whole other code that, yeah uh, that we talk in that people just don't understand so i can't believe i didn't ask greg this but what was your favorite port or what were your, some of your oh favorite? man there were so many but um I would probably have to say I have it between two, two places. So split Croatia on the Saipan was absolutely amazing. It was one of the most beautiful places I've ever been in my entire life and had a blast and plenty of stories about it. Yeah. Um, but I think, <laughs> I, you know, from a party perspective, probably the best port. Say some of the say, stories for my second yeah, podcast. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm going to do. So I would say Catania, Sicily was great because my heritage is Sicilian. Okay. So, so that was kind of cool to go there. And I, I was actually there a couple times before that on the Saipan too. So, you know, just overall, Catania was awesome. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, Valletta Malta was pretty cool too. You know, so there was there was many, many others that, you know, I, I would have to say was, was, was made even like Istanbul, Turkey. I mean, who, who goes to Istanbul? You know what I mean? Yeah. I was so tired at that point that I was over it, but Turkey was right. all right. Yeah. I like Spain. Just, I mean, Spain was dope. And then yeah. me and my girlfriend, we actually vacationed there personally like three years oh, ago. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Where did you awesome. guys, did you guys go to like Madrid? Barcelona. Did you go to Barcelona? Yeah. Awesome. See, that's what I want. I want to go to other places. And, you know, it's unfortunate because I feel like I kind of wasted all that, you know, everything that I did yeah. in, uh, in the past and, and all the places that I've been to. Yeah. I mean, Israel. I was in, oh man. Yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's crazy, man. You know, I forgot about that one. I know. There's so many. I just felt like in Israel, I was always walking uphill. No matter yeah. where I went, I felt like I was walking uphill. It was just a... Uh, but it was cool. It was it was really cool to see different cultures and um, and different places just at a from a boat, man. Nobody nobody goes to different countries on a boat. <laughs> it just doesn't unless you're doing with a your cruise, best friends too. Yeah, exactly. Like, like people that you basically you're even in Norfolk are hanging out with all the time. So uh, so this is uh, number three. I get I'm gonna call it number three. Like of something like sailors experience is like um is on deployment where you're working like you said 24 hours a day you're seeing the same 200 people every single day oh, yeah. and then you hit a port and you go and do your you go into your restaurants and you do your touristy things and then at the end of the night everybody Always. goes to <laughs> one ship bar and they act like they haven't seen each other in years how hilarious That's is so that? true Oh my gosh. You know, when I realized that I knew that it happened all the time, but it didn't really become a meme. like, yeah, it, I mean, it just didn't, right. Exactly. It didn't become like a, like fact to me until we got, or we went to uh, Scotland. Okay. Do you remember when we went up to the North Atlantic? Yeah. Were you there during that time? I was, yeah. Yeah. I figured you would have been, I just couldn't, can't remember. Cause that was just a blur. Cause I mean, I, I slept in the same birthing as like, is, uh, is the fire control. You guys did too. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, it was, we were all, I just remember, oh man. Yeah. And I just remember going out, 
hanging out out on town and just you know having a good time with all your separate groups and then next thing you know and i don't even know how people found each other who's the cool guy who's the cool guy that like um made it like that's the spot to go like I, that's what I'm saying, man. Like, I don't know who it was and how you would even heard about that bar, but somehow we always got word. And then I, yeah, I don't know if it was just like passing groups on the street, like, yeah, where are you guys going? And then they're like, oh, we're going to Stanley's or whatever, <laughs> or whatever bar. And you're like, oh, okay, cool. We'll be there in about an hour. <laughs> oh, dude. Good times, though. Oh, Good yeah. Times. I wish. I could do it one more time, I guess, because now I know what to do for sure, for sure, you know. Yeah. And I, I could probably, like, divide up my time to, like, do worthwhile, more worthwhile shit, you know. Yeah, I agree. I, I say that all the time. But, you know, I also say that about, like, my schooling in high school, too. Like, I wish I would have taken that more serious type deal thing. But, you know, I, uh, I deal with, I deal with um, you know, college graduates all the time, like, where I work now. and. Uh-huh. And they don't even come close to the stories. I mean, yeah, they can talk about frats and stuff like that all all day long in their college days, but it doesn't even hold a candle to the things that I've experienced. And, uh, you know, I, I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I, I did what I did, you know, yeah. especially going out to sea and hitting all those places and, you know, working your ass off, but you're also compensated for it. So, yeah. so you're, Technically my second guest, but you're my first one that did a, a second enlistment. What went into that? What were you thinking? So at that point in time, I was having Jordan was getting ready to be born. So I, I remember, you know, I was going to get out. I was just going to do four and get out, mm-hmm. which was I think most plan? people are. Was that the plan? Oh, yeah. From the beginning, yeah. just do your yep. four? Okay. Yeah, I was just going in for enlistment and then get out. Um, and I was all the way up until like, I don't know, it was it was something really close. I think I needed to, I re-enlisted like within a month of deciding. And I just remember uh, just kind of fighting over it. I mean, actually, that there was a lot of decision making in that because I, I just didn't know what to do. Like I yeah. wanted to get out but I didn't really have a plan. I didn't know what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just, I just didn't know anything. So I ended up reenlisting and I reenlisted, uh, for orders and I, uh, I got short duty. So, and that's what, uh, why one read my, my leading petty officer kind of instructed, or she kind of gave me a little bit of advice. She was like, look, Nick, it's like, you're due for short duty. You might as well do your short duty. Yeah. And then figure out what you got to do. Cause I mean, you're going to be on shore the whole time and you'll get paid and it'll just be like a regular job. So do that. And then, then you can decide. So yeah. I ended up doing that and, uh, and I'm glad I did. Cause you know, I got, I got hooked up in a, at a good command, uh, us fleet forces command, which was like, uh, you know, I was working on a flag deck with, uh, yeah. four star um, admirals and stuff like that. I worked for a second fleet and they, oh, they yeah. shut down second fleet and merged it with fleet forces. Yeah, so you know what like, I'm talking about. That was right at the very end. Like I was mm. only with Fleet Forces for like two months. Oh, okay. Well, uh, uh, Mattis worked for Fleet Forces Command, so he was a civilian. At, yeah, at, as a civilian. Uh, yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and I, I talked to Hugh. He would always come up to my office. We'd just sit there and bullshit oh, for really? hours. Really? Yeah, all uh, the time. It was crazy. But yeah, man, uh, 
I think uh, at first I didn't really want to do it. I was like, man, more of this. But at the same time, I was like, well, you know, might as well what? do it. And I, I'm, I'm glad I did it. What? How do I put this? What were you seeing in the civilian section that, like, was drawing you to leaving the Navy at that time? Like, were you just, like, were you into the freedom? Were you, like? Yeah, it was the freedom, 100%. Uh, it really wasn't anything else at that point. I, yeah. just, I just had that, you know, you felt like you're almost imprisoned being on the ship, but it, you're not, you know, kind of way. And, but then when you see the civilian life, you're like, oh, man, I can literally do whatever I want. You know, I don't have to, you know, and I'm glad I didn't because my life would be completely different if I would have, uh, yeah. if I would have got out then. Can you quickly uh, like compare and contrast like fleet life and shore duty? Oh, it's way different. I mean, I remember, I remember. Uh, or like, how about this? Your friendships and with people on the boat different? Oh, not even close. I mean, okay. the camaraderie on a boat is unmatched. Okay. I mean, it's not it doesn't like the shore duty life doesn't even come close to, to, um, to what you ex experience on a boat. I mean, I wanted to go back to sea okay. when I was on shore. Like when I was doing my, my time on shore, yeah. I remember. Like, Do you have any being, good friends from shore duty? Yeah, I have a few, but nothing like the Donald Cook. Yeah. I, I would say the Donald Cook's super unique. Cause I don't even have friends like that that were on the side pan. Okay. So there was definitely something special about the cook that that, huh. uh, that my other commands didn't really have. So yeah, I hope I get to talk to more cook people just to like. Yeah, especially like people that are like long ten, like Matt Vecchio would be a good one. Yeah. Baker. Yeah, like just uh, to like, cause like I get I get on the forums or whatever, and like people say that all the time. But mm -hmm. yeah, oh, it's, it was an amazing experience. So, and we had a we had an awesome CEO on the cook too. So with maybe uh with uh uh, uh wild bill <laughs> but uh i would say like to compare and contrast from like cdd the camaraderie was there for cdd which is amazing um but the the life on shorty is just it's shorty man i mean yeah. it's like a nine to five and yeah. you know these a lot of these people haven't been on especially when you're talking about being in a community of like uh yeomans they're not they're kind of like a 50 50 rate so you're 50 percent at sea and yeah. 50 percent on shore and some of them don't even do any cdd so depending on if you're like a flag writer or you know other types of like little niche jobs within the yeoman community so you know i was i remember wine one reed telling me that she was like, Hey, I'm going to uh, recommend you for a flag command, but we're going to have to work on like, you know, um, basically since I was a little rough around the edges, yeah. <laughs> we had to make me more of like a well-rounded individual. And really quickly, for those, that, for those that don't know, what's a flag command? Uh, so you're talking like uh, high ranking officers in the Navy. Yeah. So, you know, you're, you're one, two, three, four star uh, admirals, which are equivalent to the generals and stuff like that. So, yeah. um, I mean, we basically had the top dog in the Atlantic fleet. Yeah. At U.S. Fleet Forces Command, which I worked right with him. All I saw him all the time. I mean, and dealt with his his aides and everything like that. So, um, it was 
was it is it intimidating working in that type of environment oh yeah okay yeah, i mean it took me it took me or, a little while to or adjust. like is it like or is it like behind closed doors they're just like bros like you or me so i th- i think they are to an extent but uh no it was, it was pretty intense okay. i mean they they kept there was definitely a, a certain level of uh of uni- uniformity that needed to take place with that and um because you have a lot of high distinguished guests uh you know that would high level distinguished guests that would come and visit mm-hmm. so you had to really be on your your game most of the time but you know everyday work was just kind of everyday work it really didn't matter yeah um so so we're getting towards your end of your second enlistment and for sure this time you're gonna get out what were you thinking so yeah for sure getting out my second i mean i threw it up there obviously did you look at orders just to look or were you like i'm out i'm out so i didn't get as far as orders but i did do the pts you know the perform to serve thing Uh and it came back saying that i would be able to do it or i'd be able to re-enlist um so you know i talked to the command master chief and and the, the senior enlisted guy um and basically I, I already had a plan. Like I, I create like since the day that I checked on shore duty, you know, after I reenlisted on Donald cook, I was like, I was like, all right, you know, you're gonna, you got to figure out, you got to figure out a plan to, to exit. So my, uh, I, I was already, I actually applied for an early out. So <laughs> I, I got out like, because I heard that they were letting people out like 180 days prior to the end of their enlistment. Uh-huh. So I was like, well, I'm going to do that because then the post nine 11 GI bill came around uh-huh. and I was like, okay, I'll go to school, you know, and I'll, I'll get out, I'll go to school. I'll collect that. The, the BAH, um, I can file an employment for X number of uh, months. Mm-hmm. Um, if I need to work, then I'll work. But, my wife at the time had a good job. She was a registered nurse. So she mm-hmm. was working pretty good job and she was able to find a job. So I had everything kind of laid out and I had an exit strategy. So yeah. my, uh, I, I don't think I really gave it too much thought other than that, uh, that I was going to get out. Cause I was ready to go to school at that point, especially yeah. working with the people that I was working with at fleet forces command. I realized where I wanted to be and how I needed to present myself to be somewhat successful and, you know, kind of go from there. And, and I, I think actually Fleet Force Command gave me a, or taught me a lot, had a lot of fun, you know, going out to sea, but when it came down to like getting your shit together and, and uh, you know, putting up or shut up type deal stuff, Fleet Force Command really put me in kind of a, a mode where, you know, I, I needed to work on myself and okay. really get my stuff together awesome so wasn't a total bad decision no no it was great well, yeah, actually was, not a bad decision but like like you took you took what wine one reed said mm-hmm. and then you had just applied it while you yep. were working at for sure awesome now um i know you told me that you're asset you're in asset management or yep something along those lines was that part of the plan or was that something you came into Actually, my, my original plan was to go out, get out and go to school. It wasn't, it, and it was to get out, go to school and come back in, like go through OCS and be an officer. That was okay. kind of my original plan. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got out, 
went to school, graduated, uh, got my undergrad in economics and um, started to just kind of look, see what was out there. Um, started looking at the Navy again, uh, OCS, talked to a couple OCS recruiters, and then, which is officer candidate school for anybody that doesn't know, but it's a, it was basically uh, that, or I was going to um, go work in a private sector. And that's when JP Morgan came around and uh, I talked to a recruiter and they said, Hey, we got a job for you. Uh-huh. And I was like, all right, well, let's do this. <laughs> and I've been there ever since. <laughs> so, um, and they're, they're a good company. They, they hire veterans and stuff like that. And yeah. I had the degrees and the credentials and I've been able to work up, work my way up through the company. And, and now I have a, you know, I'm, I have a decent paying job and, uh, you know, some solid works, you know, security and, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's worked out for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. I definitely, I definitely got lucky to the end, but I, I don't want to say it's like a hundred percent luck because it was a lot of hard work to get even to where I'm at now. And I don't even feel like I'm that far along. You know what I mean? <laughs> Before we, I, I, I go any further, I want to ask, uh, do you think the Navy adequately prepared you for life after the Navy? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I have to give credit to the Navy for really everything. Yeah. I mean, cause I, if I didn't go into the Navy, I don't think I would have learned any type of discipline. Yeah. I wouldn't have learned how to go from basically the, the start to finish on a project. Um, I don't think the Navy or I would have definitely had the values or the understanding of the world as a whole that I do, uh, today. Um, and I just, I just don't think I'd be as prepared for whatever came my way without the Navy. So, yeah. um, I would, I would say a hundred percent that the Navy, if if you take advantage of it, yeah, you know, and, and what it's trying to teach you and you kind of drink the Kool-Aid, it's going to benefit <laughs> you in the end. So I, I asked, I put it this way with Greg and I'm going to put it the same way with you. Um, is it fair to say that, the Navy prepares you for life after the military, but it doesn't prepare you for the actual transition, like the actual leaving the Navy. Right, right, right. Yeah, okay. I could agree with that. And and again, I think it's what you take out of it, obviously, you know, in some, some scenario or sense of the matter. But I would say that the transition program isn't exactly, um, I mean, if you go, if you get out of the Navy and you don't have a plan, you're screwed. Okay. It doesn't matter what they do for you. That's how I kind of look at it. But uh-huh. like you and I and and Greg, we were smart enough to actually ha- understand that we're the ones that have to make our own success and and actually you know succeed outside of the Navy. Yeah, I think for people that don't necessarily have that understanding, I feel like they probably um, would, would struggle a little bit and be a little bit more, uh, I guess, uh, salty yeah. that the Navy didn't prepare them for something like that. But I, I think for, for you and I and, 
and and maybe not even Navy in general, but I think military period yeah. overall is is even just because you have Navy experience, just because or military experience doesn't mean that you're going to be successful on the outside. It's yeah. just like those kids that went from high school to, to college and they got a four year degree and they expect to make $80,000 right off the bat. It's like, well, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. You, know, you still have to put your, your ass to work. And, yeah. And you still got to make, make, make stuff happen. Right. Exactly. Uh, so I'm, I'm sorry to keep for everybody listening. If anybody's listening to bring up Greg, but Nick is legit my second guest. So I'm, yeah. and, and between us, uh, Greg did his first term and got out. You did your second term. Yep. And you got out. And me, I actually got to the part where I was gonna. Uh, I did ten years, and I was on the um, I was on the uh, the Navy's gonna be my career. Yeah. And uh, so what I'm getting at is that that Greg had a plan. You basically had a plan, and you're just yep. waiting out the three years. And I didn't have a plan. But I got to the part where I was choosing orders, but right. I didn't like anything that they're offering me, mm-hmm. but I felt comfortable leaving the Navy and I knew that I'd be able to make it with everything that yeah. I've learned so far. Uh, do you have any advice for people that are on that? They're looking at orders and there is a fear of getting out of the Navy. It, sure. it is a scary experience. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of sailors or a lot of military in general, they'll get to that part where they're pricking orders for the next assignment and there's just a bunch of shit, but that, that fear, the fear of getting out, the fear of the unknown drives them to like sign their name for one more enlistment. And then now, and then now they're just going to be disgruntled and shitty. Do you have any advice for people that are at that point where they're looking at orders and, and they're trying to decide if it's worth it leaving over being unhappy with something that they don't want to do? Oh yeah. Um, well, I mean, as you, you and I both know, sometimes you have to do stuff that you're not exactly thrilled with. You yeah. know, I, I feel like if, if somebody's on border borderline and they're not liking what they're seeing, but at the same time, they really want to make it their career, yeah. you're going to have to pick something. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. But if you have a plan in place, I mean, really, you just need to build a plan for both sides. But there's some fear-based <laughs> decision-making going on. Right, right, right. I don't know if you can do anything about that. I think you, I think you just have to take it in stride. I mean, yeah. you have to have – if you have a plan for both, both ways, yeah. you're never going to yeah. fail because, you know, you're going to have a way to tackle each, each decision that you make. But uh-huh. if you sit there and have been planning for a career in the Navy for 20 years and you're at your 10-year mark – um, and then you decide to get out just in a, a split decision, yeah. you're probably yeah. going to struggle just a little bit. I mean, depending on how well prepared you are yeah. even out of that. But I, I think, I think the advice would be to make a plan at every enlistment, even from the day that you joined to your first enlistment to, for getting out and then make a pros and cons list, man. Something as age old as something like that. You yeah. Know, I, I think that's solid. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just can't see myself uh at my first enlistment getting out and actually being successful because i really had no plan i didn't have i didn't know what i was gonna do i i think at one point in time i was looking at jobs at like a sporting goods store and i was like what the hell am i doing you know i have a perfectly good job here yeah i'm going to shore duty you know and i was still in the donald cook when i really enlisted so i was still you know had some time on the ship 
So, you know, I just have a plan. And until one plan outweighs the other, yeah, go with your best odds of being somewhat successful. It's, like, super, like, obvious, but I've never thought about it that way. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and I think a lot of people don't. Like you said, there's a yeah. lot of fear-based decision-making that goes into play. Can I ask you, what is success to you? Man, success is freedom to me, honestly. Uh-huh. Um, I don't, uh, I, I don't want to work for J.P. Morgan for the rest of my life. Uh-huh. I want to do 30 years there and then look back and be like, what the hell am I doing? I want to do something for myself. You know, I want to... Uh-huh. I want to, I don't care if I'm making, you know, $50,000 a year compared to $500,000 a year. You know what I mean? As Mm -hmm. long as I am able to dictate my own schedule and my own freedom and what I want to do and, and have the freedom to go anywhere, do whatever I want and dictate my own schedule. um, I think that's success to me. I, you know, even if I'm making $50,000 a year, as long as I can be at home, work freely go out and do the things that I want to do, um, make the decisions mm-hmm. on a daily basis for myself. That's going to project me into more success in my yeah. own opinion. Um, then I would, you know, on a, like a corporate ladder scheme, you know what yeah. I mean? So I, I just, uh, I think I'm starting to realize now, which might be a little late, but I don't think it's too late to, to decide or figure out what your passion is, mm-hmm. but um, you know, working in something that I'm passionate about and making a living and making, you know, if I was super passionate about JP Morgan asset management, I'd be living the dream right now. <laughs> but that's the thing is I'm not super passionate about it. So uh-huh. you know, it is what it is. So would you it's say good that experience? Yeah. Would Would you say that you're still working towards your personal success or? Oh yeah. Okay. Yep. How about, how about, let me put it this way. Is there, for you personally, is there like one single point, whether you know what it is or not at this point, is there like one single point of success or do you think you'll hit that and then you'll work towards something else? Yeah, I, I think, I think there's a, a, there's definitely a point right now. Um, now, once you achieve that success, I think there's always going to be, I mean, it's just like uh, ESWAS, right? Yeah you had that, that point of success, but you also have to work on making rank and stuff like that. So you're always trying to achieve some sort of, of goal within your career. Uh Um, I don't think that's any different, just it's different when you're talking about the things that you're passionate about. So I just think that those goals are easily more easily attainable and more enjoyable if you have something that you actually want to achieve. So I know you mentioned that you're like super into mountain biking. Yeah. How'd you mm-hmm. get into that? So I've always been a biker, you know, I BMX when I was younger and stuff like that. Uh-huh. So biking's always been kind of my thing. You can't really take your bike everywhere on a boat or anything like that. So <laughs> there was a little hiatus period there. But when I came back, once I got out, I got back into it, but I kind of went away from the BMX and went more into mountain biking and found that sport. And, uh, found some some trails around here with like some you know jumps and things like that and sort of working towards that then i started then i started uh you know now i'm just you know crushing it everywhere i go but it's (laughs) it's so much i was just in south carolina this past week and and uh and uh with my girlfriend and just you know hitting these trails that are just masterfully made i mean they they build these trails perfect through the 
super flowy and you get some really cool little jumps and stuff like that. And it's yeah, just I was going to say, are you like, like trail mountain biking or like the downhill mountain Downhill bike? slash trail slash everything else. So, I mean, it, I don't yeah, really yeah. discriminate. I do it all. Um, but downhill stuff is like more my speed. That's what I like to do. But, you know, around here, you have to earn your turns by climbing up. So you're, you're putting some work in. What kind of BMX bike did you have? Uh, I had a Redline 340 back in the day. I had a, um, what was it, a Haro? Oh, yeah. I, I forgot what model. And this was like, in 2015, I had it. What? Yeah. yeah that's sweet. And yeah, Haro's are, Haro's are badass bikes, man. I uh, see I people a, riding their mountain bikes around every once in a while. I had a super, like, a super clean, like, Haro, like, it was a deep green color. It was super yeah. sweet. And then it got stolen. <laughs> And then, so I ended up getting a white horror later. It was was a little beat up, but then I got out of it. Um, What kind of mountain bike? Yeah, Yeah. it was, it was blast. We would, yeah, we would take it to the uh, beachfront at Virginia beach and we would just grab uh, one of those orange crushes (laughs) and just, yeah. (laughs) What what was the uh, place that sold those? Waterman's. Waterman's. That's right. Yeah. Uh, What kind of mountain bike do you got? So I've had, I had a Diamondback for my first like real mountain bike. Yeah. Uh, now I ride a Nuke Proof Scout uh, 290, which is actually a British made bike. Okay. Um, but I've, I bought it as a frame and then I built it up. From yeah. There. I was so, looking at, yeah. uh, I just, uh, full disclosure, I know nothing about my mountain bike. Yeah, bikes, no worries. But yeah, not <laughs> many people do. What, what do you mean by like, I, I you know, I got like, you know, build it, you yeah so uh with the 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 you know obviously you have a frame so you have your frame and then yeah. you have to put the seat post in there and, and and the seat you put that on the other your handlebars your stem your headset your uh steering tube your forks your wheels and then you have your drivetrain which includes like a cassette for your gearing and then your your chain ring for your your yeah. pedals and your crank system so you know, there's a lot of specialized tools for this. Yeah, well, and, I uh, I work for uh, right, currently right now. I work for Fitness International, which is the corporate name for LA Fitness. Oh, nice. And so I I do I work on the spin bikes every oh, month. Okay, month. yeah. So and it's fucking super complicated. Yeah. And yeah, they, I mean stationary bikes. I mean, without I guess just it's a bike without the wheels. Yeah. You know, and it, I mean it still has the same concept. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean that's. It, I wouldn't say this is necessarily, but I mean probably to to somebody just starting out, or yeah. even people that have been in the industry for a long time might not know a lot of this stuff. I just taught it all. Like I, I taught myself all of this. Yeah, well, that's I, a, like when back when I had the uh, the BMX the Hara, like I thought about like changing the the wheels, the rims, and mm-hmm. the spokes and everything out. But even that, you have to like put it up on the thing, and oh yeah, and you gotta. And I was like, holy so, shit, this is way, I thought it was just like, unbolt a couple of things and pop the yeah. fire out. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So I, I actually build my own wheels too. That's yeah, kind of yeah. my bread and butter. So what does I, that mean? So I, I, I buy spokes and rims and hubs uh, all separately. And yeah. then I put it, I, I lace them and then I, uh, I tension them to the specifications that there should be tension. Then I true them. So I put, I have like this huge truing stand. I think it's the truing that I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. 
you just throw them in that turning stand and then you spin it around and see where it wobbles. You have indicators there yeah, that yeah. kind of tell you which side they go on and then, then you tighten them accordingly and then you have to balance the tension. I mean, it's a, it's a process. Yeah, it is. It and takes so. probably, for me to build a wheel set. So if I build two, two wheels, two mountain bike wheels, which I can do BMX wheels and stuff like that too, I'm probably spending about two and a half, three hours on just those two, maybe a little bit longer depending on what I'm building. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm trying to break or get that down to like at least an uh, hour and a half, you know, then I can be more efficient at it and stuff like that. But yeah, that's, that's, I, I, I there's a certain pride that you have writing your own built stuff. Yeah. I had also, I had also applied to work for a Trek. Oh, that'd have been cool. Just because I just want to learn how, like, yeah. I, I'm just into learning how to do stuff. And I was like, yeah. I've, I've never fucking built or repaired a bicycle in my life right and i could probably do it you think it's so easy but there are some nuances yeah. to it that are just like you know oh shit like this and is I, serious stuff i would have done it but i don't like working more than 40 hours a week and i would <laughs> yeah, i would have right. done this as a part-time job yeah so i was yeah. like well man i i learned everything about bikes just from youtube and reading online so yeah. my my uh my knowledge isn't necessarily i i mean i can read a book you know i can read a book and and practice so i, I think uh and i've been riding this bike for the past 2 years and what, I love what, it. what are some of your favorite trails and and are there any trails that you want to go to oh yeah well i mean i obviously want to get to Whistler Blackcomb, go up to Vancouver and uh-huh. shred some serious, I mean, literally the best bike park in the world. Uh-huh. Um, we have a couple spots out here. Seven Springs is a place in Pennsylvania that has a good downhill mountain bike park. Um, I hit that up frequent. Uh, it's closed this year because of COVID-19, but uh-huh. uh, Snowshoe out in West Virginia is a great downhill mountain bike park which i've hit that and that i think i got a buddy that works out there yeah oh that place is fun it's a it's just a blast they actually had the world championships uh last year so uh they're on the map now and then uh just my local stuff i mean i hit stuff down in down in north carolina and south carolina which actually north carolina like uh dupont fort state forest and in south carolina or um pisgah those are like for east coast mountain biking that's like the mecca uh-huh. and then um hit some places down in down in south carolina and then my local tracks here chestnut ridge mountain bike trail man that's uh one of my favorite places it's actually um maintained by the metro metro park system uh-huh. here in ohio and uh there's this probably you know mile and a half downhill flow track that is here in central Ohio. So you don't really have a lot of those features in central Ohio. So we kind of take that as a jam for, for our spot. Where, where are you on the, um, the electric mountain bikes that people use? Oh, dude, you know? I'll ride those all day long. Oh, you I, I could. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Some people hate them, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, like, uh, I figure it's like, like, um, like rollerblades and skaters. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what it's like. And, and it's, I mean, but you see like uh, this following of electric mountain bikers starting to take hold. And yeah, well, you see a I lot figure, of professional like, bikers. I figure the funnest part is going down. Like, yeah. Like, yeah why, why would you, you want to waste all your energy getting yeah. up? All right. Yeah, so, so you're, you're for electric. Oh, I'm totally for Okay. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I, I look at it like if it gets more people mountain biking, then, 
you know, so be it. If I'm like 70 years old and still able to ride a bike and shred downhill, but I, <laughs> I'm having trouble getting uphill, you better believe I'm going to have an e-mountain bike. And not even then. Like, I would rather have it now so that I have more energy going downhill. Exactly. You know? That's where I'm, but I'm not a... I'm not a mountain biker at all. So like whatever makes it easier. <laughs> you should be because Washington, you're in the place. For yeah. It. Um, how, how deep into the culture are you? Do you, are there any clubs that you're part of or? So I'm part of multiple Facebook groups. Uh-huh. Uh, that I think my entire feed on my Instagram and my Facebook is all mountain bikes now. Yeah. I, you know, it's starting to outweigh the actual posts from people that I know. Yeah. Um, well, that's then, what my, all my advertisements right now are like uh, fishing and hunting companies. Oh, yeah. That, that's what exactly. I'm trying to get into over here. Yeah. yeah. That's a great place to get into that, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you're in a, you're in a solid spot for sure. But, um, yeah, I, I would say that I'm, I'm more of a – I mean, that's, that's like my passion. Like that's yeah. what I want to do with the rest of my life. I want to – right now I'm starting uh, – like uh youtube videos and stuff like that and getting ready to launch like a youtube channel and stuff oh, like nice. that about about like building you know building wheels and i have a dirt jumper that i'm actually building so i'm gonna build it from start to finish you know do a series of all this stuff and um then i'm gonna try and see how it goes with building wheels and set up a website and try to sell them you know and that's see dope. how that goes so like just, i don't know that, i don't know how far i'm getting but like if i gain some steam i'll definitely like if i yeah yeah promote, for sure if i could help promote right right dope. yeah i mean that's that's the that's the idea man is is just trying to i'm trying to build a brand yeah and you know i gotta you know you know, by riding my bike is, is kind of branding as well. And, you know, I'm starting local, but at the same time I need a bigger, you know, to scale a little yeah. bit and get some notoriety. So are there um, any, like, this is, this is fun. Cause I don't know anything about this. Are there any like fucking cool mountain bikers that like, you know of, or like that you follow like locally? No, like personalities in the mountain biking community. Like oh a, yeah, like, uh, like the Tony so, Hawks of mountain biking. Yeah, so so uh, Sam Pilgrim, he's a British dude, and he has a YouTube channel. And this dude, he's hilarious. He's just he's a great entertainer, man. And uh, but in, but he's also a world champion slope style biker. So I mean, this guy, he's busting out like you know backflip tail whips and stuff like that, and doing. Yeah. 360 tail whips and and all kinds of crazy stuff so i mean he's he's like on a whole different level but then there's other personalities that are not quite like professional riders yeah but they got their start by doing like hacks and showing people how they could do something and reviewing it basically on a on a level to you know help people out and stuff like that so yeah that's that's my goal right now is trying to figure out how i can do it differently so i'm not just repeating yeah shit over and over again you know what i mean so what kind of what kind of gear is involved with mountain biking other than the bike is there like so i i wear like uh i mean pedals are obviously a key component um yeah i i use i wear 510s which are made by adidas now and they're kind of like a hard sold shoe that is yeah. really sticky so i mean it like sticks to the pedal um and I wear I wear knee pads and and just you know just moisture wicking clothes. You don't wear like you know, the like the super tight like the average like fucking street 
No, 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 no. Like so green. that's no, uh, no, I'm wearing like, you know, I'm not wearing baggy shorts, but I'm wearing regular shorts right. or, uh, you know, like <laughs> cycling shorts, but not tights. No, not at all. And then, um, you know, just a regular shirt and then a helmet, obviously. So I'm probably going to look up uh, some YouTube videos. Cause like, I do see like the occasional video flip through Facebook and like that yeah. downhill stuff looks fun. Oh, dude, it's intense, man. Scary Check out, uh, shit. Check out Sam Pilgrim, man. He's hilarious. You'll Sam you'll Pilgrim. be entertained if anything. And then uh, any cool you know, like like crashes that that you, that happened to that, you? Oh yeah, man. I've crashed so many time. times. It's insane. Because <laughs> I mean, I ride my bike every day. So if I'm not on the trail, you know, because a lot of times when it rains, I can't get out there because it's muddy and you don't mm-hmm. want to mess up the trails. So I, I mean, I ride out in front of my house all the time. So I'm I'm like out there just doing bunny hops and trying to do 180s fakies and stuff like that and just do i built like a two-foot kicker ramp that i can just practice hitting around oh, really kind of get like you know airborne and stuff like that yeah and get that feeling for the spatial awareness i have a uh i have a skate park right down the road so i just go over there and just you know mess around at the skate park and stuff so it's uh you know i i do um ride all the time and it's a uh like it's just it's it's like a muscle i mean if you do it all the time you'll yeah it'll just kind of become muscle memory but as far as crashes i mean you go over the handlebar i think i I just went over the handlebars today uh i hit this like step up jump which it's like it probably has about a oh maybe a five foot five foot gap but the landing's probably about 10 foot Uh so you hit this huge lip and you go up and you have to have enough speed to clear it as you're also going up. And uh, I don't know, I've hit it a billion times in the past and never had any troubles, but this time I don't know what I was thinking, but I didn't hit it straight on. I just tried to veer off of it and cut it a little short. And I came down like, and my shots just like pushed me out of the way and I went over the bars, but I didn't like crash hard. I can always <laughs> usually catch myself, but um that shit I went into the bushes basically and I, I'm pretty sure I landed in like a poison ivy bush. So I'm oh, hoping damn. that it's not like the, you know, hopefully tomorrow I don't wake up with a shit ton of poison ivy all over my face <laughs> and my arms. So. Well, we're getting towards the end here, Nick. I yeah, for sure, to, man. I just want to thank you for sitting down and chatting with yeah, me. Yeah, it's been great. Uh, before I let you go, I got a couple of questions I want to ask you, but um, I think that music and books tell a lot about a, a person. Mm-hmm. So I just want to ask you uh, if you could recommend three books to read. It doesn't matter the subject. It could be about fucking mountain biking. I don't care if you could mm-hmm. recommend three books to read. What would they be? Oh, man. So right now I am reading. Uh, let me see here. Are you a physical book reader or uh, are you are you doing it? on a tablet or on a Kindle or something like that. So I am a physical book reader, but you know, you know, all disclosure or, you know, complete disclosure here. I am not that much of a reader. Yeah. yeah. uh, But I am reading a book called Sapiens and it is by, I can't remember the author. I'm trying to look it up right here, but the, um, basically it's all about, uh, Yuval Noah Harari is the is the uh, the author of it, and what he's he basically is doing is it's he's a anthropologist basically. He's talking about the existence. It's the history of 
humankind basically. Uh-huh. So talking about uh, Homo sapiens and their existence and uh, Homo neanderthalus and all that. And it's, it's tough. Like you can't just, it's not a book that you just like read once yeah. and you're done. It's a book that you have to like continuously and actually study because there's actually some scientific stuff going on in there. <laughs> um, but it's cool because, you know, he has theories on it and, and I, I really am drawn to something like that. Um, I read another book. I, I like, I'm not usually a, I'm not usually a, a uh, I guess a fiction type reader. Yeah. Um, so, or science fiction or anything like that, but I did read um, Cosmos by Carl Sagan, mm-hmm. which is absolutely amazing. Um, I don't know if you know anything about him or Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Cosmos series, they have, it's actually a, 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 a television series as well. I think they just came out with the second one. Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson did, but the old one from Carl Sagan's days uh, was really good too. But <clears throat> it, you know, it explains about the cosmos, which is awesome to me because I love yeah. thinking about otherworldly planets and and galaxies and the universe as a whole um and then for a third one oh man trying to think what the the third (laughs) one would have been um it would have probably been um man thank you i want to say world war z so that would have been a a science fiction one i guess yeah Yeah. um, that was so good you know it was it was it was one of my favorites but uh, I know there's something before Matt that, but Brooks, like I said, yeah, that's the, the son of Mel Brooks wrote that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. How about, so, uh, if you could recommend three songs or albums? Oh man. It's so hard to recommend songs and albums nowadays, or even artists because I have Spotify. So yeah. it just builds my list and of stuff that I haven't heard before, but I'm like, Oh man, this sounds good. And I just have like songs and I, yeah. I don't even look at them anymore. I just like, like them. And then they're in my, my library. I gotcha. But, um, but I, I would say, uh, one of my favorite songs uh, and one of my favorite bands is Rage Against Machine and always has been since I was younger. Uh, but, you know, Maria is one of my favorite songs. Mm-hmm. Um, Calm Like a Bomb on the Battle for Los Angeles. Um, you know, that, that's probably one of my favorite songs that I still listen to today on regular rotation. Um, let me see. I'm trying to think of like, like, in my life weren't you a big like modest mouse oh yeah i love modest mouse that's how greg and i actually bonded was modest mouse but i would say i would say modest mouse is definitely one of my favorites um bands uh but i'm trying to think of maybe i mean nirvana was always Mm -hmm. something this is all like you know childhood growing up this is what's influenced me into the music that i listen to now but i'm I'm more of like an alternative kind of listener, but at the same time, I did have, you know, for the longest time I was a, yeah, it's pretty, uh, I'm a big grunge guy. And now I'm living in Seattle. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Right. Dope. Yeah. Cause I mean, especially with like Soundgarden and Pearl Jam and all those guys, and all those guys, and even like red hot chili peppers. And, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm definitely a, um, an alternative rock music lover. Um, but 
I would say that I do have some rap in there as well. So <laughs> you know, I, I do love me some hip hop as well. So I, I, as long as it's not country, I kind of, I'm okay with it. <laughs> you know. Well, that dude, that was super fascinating. I appreciate you once again for sitting Yeah, man. And... This has been great. Hey, thanks for listening to the Average G.I. Joe podcast, currently dropping episodes the first Monday of every month. If you're a veteran and interested in sharing your story, you can contact me at AverageGIJoePod at gmail.com. I'd love to listen. Have a great day.